Our good word today is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 16, where Paul makes the statement concerning the Jews, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Wrath to the uttermost. This little word uttermost is an interesting word. It means the ultimate. You can't go beyond this. This is the ultimate. It's found several times in the Bible. Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore he is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. You know what that means? He's able to save eternally. Because he lives forever, he's able to save forever all who will trust him. Hebrews 7.25 So we have salvation to the uttermost. Then in John 13.1, it says of the Lord Jesus, Having loved his own, he loved them unto the end. And that's the same word. He loved them unto the uttermost. Love to the uttermost. Uttermost love. How much does Jesus love us? He loves us to the uttermost. Can any of our sin ever separate us from his love? No. Paul says in Romans 8, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have love to the uttermost. And then in Acts 1.8, we have witness to the uttermost. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So we have witness to the uttermost. But here we have wrath to the uttermost. Uttermost judgment. Now, how much judgment were they going to get as much as they had filled up? Verse 16 says, Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins alway. What kind of judgment are unsaved people going to get when they get to hell? The kind of judgment, the amount of judgment they've stored up for themselves. In other words, a man writes his own ticket. A man determines his own destiny. How much blessing and reward is the believer going to get when he gets to heaven as much as he is sent on ahead, depending on his faithfulness to the Lord? Wrath to the uttermost. That's a tremendous thought. Unending wrath. Even as we Christians are saved to the uttermost, unsaved people are going to be lost to the uttermost. There will be no ending of the wrath of God upon them. That thought just stirs me. It stirs me as a Christian to realize that people are lost and I had better do something about it. I don't know how Christians can sit around complacently when a world is going to hell. If I thought there were even one chance that a man could be saved after death, it might help me a little bit, but there is no chance. In my Bible, and I've read it many, many times, in my Bible we're told it's wrath to the uttermost. It's eternal judgment. It's fire that never goes out. It's a worm that'll never be quenched. It's darkness that'll never be lifted. Pain that will never be alleviated. Uttermost wrath. You and I as Christians had better be doing something about getting out the gospel. Now he goes on in verse 17 to say this, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Paul was taken away from Thessalonica. He went down to Berea. There was trouble in Berea. He went down to Athens. And Paul missed the people in Thessalonica. Paul was the kind of a man who was concerned about Christians growing. He was concerned about their welfare. 
Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. This little word hindered means the road was broken up. He'd put obstacles in the way. Many Bible students think, as I mentioned in a previous lesson, that there was a bond against Paul and he was not allowed back in the city. Jason had to post bond for Paul there in Acts chapter 17, verse 9. Paul wanted to get back to help these people, but he was unable to do so. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? You know, most Christians would rejoice to be away from persecution. Most of us would have written, oh, I'm so glad I'm here and I'm not up there because you're suffering. Paul wasn't this way. Paul would rather go through suffering and persecution for the joy of helping his fellow Christians. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Notice, please, Paul is saying this. Jesus is going to come again. And when Jesus comes again, these Thessalonian believers are going to be in the presence of the Lord with Paul. And Paul said, I'm going to rejoice to see the Lord. No question about that. Paul would rejoice to see the Lord. But he said, I'm also going to rejoice to see you there. I've mentioned before that every chapter in 1 Thessalonians ends with a reference to the second coming of Jesus. Every one of them. It's amazing how many preachers today don't preach the second coming of Christ. They say, well, we don't know much about it. Well, let's preach what we do know about it. Let's remind people Jesus is coming again. The reason many of the false cults are growing is because they preach prophecy. Now, they twist prophecy. They make the Bible say things it doesn't really say. But if more of our fundamental churches were preaching prophecy people would wake up to the fact that Jesus is coming again. Paul fills this whole letter with prophecy. Now, the church at Thessalonica was probably only five or six weeks old, and yet they taught these people prophecy. You say, oh, you can't teach new Christians prophecy. Paul did it. In chapter 1, the end of chapter 1, he talks about the return of Christ as it relates to salvation, verses 9 and 10. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how ye turned to God from idols, to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven. So when a person gets saved, he has this blessed new hope, and he waits for the Lord Jesus to return. Chapter 1, the return of Jesus Christ and salvation. Chapter 2, the return of Jesus Christ and service. In chapter 2, we saw Paul serving the Lord by helping these Christians. In verses 1 through 6, he faithfully gave them the word of God. In 7 through 8, he nursed them along as little babes in Christ. In 9 through 13, he disciplined them as a concerned, loving father. In 14 through 20, he missed them as a brother in Christ. Why did Paul go through all of this? What joy was he getting out of it? The joy of one day standing before the Lord and saying, Here are some people, Jesus, that I brought with me. Have you ever wondered why the Lord Jesus went through the suffering of the cross? Hebrews chapter 12 says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? The joy of the resurrection, possibly, but I think beyond that, the joy of one day presenting his bride to his heavenly Father. In Jude, verse 24, it says unto him, Who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory 
with exceeding joy. What was the joy that enabled Jesus to endure the cross? The joy of one day presenting his church, his bride, to his Father. What was the joy that kept Paul going? The joy of one day being able to stand before God and present to the Lord Jesus Christ trophies of his grace. Now, Paul didn't have an easy time of it. He went through shipwreck and beating and misunderstanding and jail, hunger, thirst, nakedness, peril, sword. Paul knew what it was to suffer. What kept him going? Two things, the love of Christ and the joy of one day presenting these people to the Lord Jesus. You know, there are some people who are not going to be happy when Jesus comes. Oh, you say all Christians will be. No, no. Not all Christians are going to be happy when Jesus comes. That may be a new truth to you, but it's true. It's in the word of God. Here in verses 19 and 20, Paul said, When Jesus comes back, I'm going to rejoice to see you there in the presence of the Lord. The Christian who's never won another soul to Christ is not going to be happy when Jesus comes. We have the idea that the second coming of Christ is a Sunday school picnic. I maintain that at the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be some tears. There will be tears of regret, tears of regret over a wasted life. The average church member doesn't really have a burden for souls. Whether or not people are saved makes little difference to him. As long as the budget is met, and as long as the heat is on, and as long as the church is still going, he doesn't care whether or not people get saved. Do you have a burden for souls? Has God been able to use you in some way to touch the lives of other people? If you have, if you've been a witness and you've helped to win others to Christ, then you're going to rejoice when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. We sing in one of our songs, Must I go and empty-handed? Must I empty-handed be not one soul with which to greet him? Must I go and empty-handed? Now, friend of mine, this frightens me. I preached recently on the judgment seat of Christ, and a man came to me afterward and he said, why didn't you talk about the glory that's going to follow the judgment seat of Christ? I said, well, that wasn't my message. There is going to be glory. It'll be wonderful when the Lord takes out all the spots and the wrinkles of his church, when he presents us faultless before the Lord, spotless before his Father. It will be wonderful. But prior to that time, there's going to be giving the account And I said, sir, I appreciate your question, but my concern today is that people, that you and I and all of us, be ready for the judgment seat of Christ. You see, at the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to give an account of our lives and our ministries. It's not a question of our sin. Our sin has been taken care of at the cross. It's a question of our faithfulness to serve the Lord. Paul says, what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. What's going to make you happy in heaven? You say, well, I won't have my arthritis anymore. That'll be a blessing. There'll be no more death or sorrow. Oh, what a great blessing that will be. There'll be no more heartache, no more tears. That's wonderful. But are you going to have the glory and the joy of introducing to Jesus Christ people you have won? I know folks say, well, Brother Wiersbe, I'm not, a, I'm not a soul winner. Well, God uses us in different ways. You can pray for lost souls. You can help to support others who do try to win souls to Christ. But I believe every one of us, in one way or another, can have a good witness to others 
for the Lord Jesus. We may not immediately see that seed bear fruit. We might not see the harvest right away. But uh, we can be faithful to sow the seed and know that God will, in his good time, give the increase. I feel constrained today to emphasize this. The Apostle Paul in chapter 2 talks about the second coming of Christ and service. One of the greatest motives for serving the Lord is that Jesus is coming again. You know, over in Luke chapter 12, our Lord Jesus gave a parable about this matter of Jesus coming again. He said this in verse 42, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men's servants and maidens, and eat and drink and to be drunk, and the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, or literally scourge him severely, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, the unfaithful, And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. Now this frightens me. Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. I know that my God is a loving heavenly Father. I know that in grace he has saved me. But because he's done so much for me, the least I can do is be faithful to him. Paul said, I don't care if they take my life. When I get to glory... I'll see you, friends, that I've won to Jesus, and that will be my glory and my joy. The program is What's the Good Word? I'm Warren Wearsby, pastor of the Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky. Thank you so much for listening.